Good morning, Living Streams. Thank you for joining us again. Um, it's great to be with you. Uh, really big news. We got really big news today, at least big news for me. Um, this is my last time preaching to a camera um, alone, where I'm all by myself just preaching to this camera. Um, because we're going forward, we're going to be now live streaming what happens here on Sunday mornings. Um, and uh, still, you can watch from home and all of those things, but we are getting everybody back together. We've been doing it for about uh, five weeks now, and uh, for times of worship and prayer. It's been so fun, so rich, and we're getting, you know, a good amount of people starting to show up, and we're still social distancing. It's, I mean, it's a big sanctuary, so um, all of that's going really well. We're face masking on the way in, and then once you're, once you're seated in social distance, you know, you can take the face mask off for worship and all of that, and it's just been such a great time, and so we really want everybody just to come on back. Now, now we'll live stream everything, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11, so you'll get to, you'll get to do that if, if you have a pre-existing condition or whatever it might be. Um, you can still participate that way, but, um, but we are. We're going to be doing our live stream all together um, Sunday morning, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, last Sunday, actually, I got to baptize my daughter and four nieces. Um, as a part of our, our worship and prayer service, which was just so powerful to see the, the, the blossoming of new life and, and fruit, even in the midst of this kind of desolate um, climate that we're experiencing. Uh, lately, I was, I was singing um, that song, Waymaker, and uh, I was thinking about that time where it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And, and I've kind of you know, added some verses in my head. I was like, even when I'm preaching to a camera, you're working. Even when it's 115 for, you know, 30 days in a row or whatever, you're working. Even when we don't get a drop of monsoon, you're working. Um, all these different things, even face masks, we're working, social distance, you're working. God is working. He's working. We're getting to see things here that have really been neat and encouraging within the homeless ministry, within the kids' ministry. Um, and I'm hoping you're seeing some of those things too. And if you're not, just take, just take heart that God is working. And we're going to get to see in our study today in the book of John um, how God was at work in the flesh in this time. And John is recording for us the, the life of Jesus. He's telling us the, the Jesus story from his eyes, from his perspective. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6, the second half of John 6 today. If you want to grab a Bible and turn there. Um, we did the first half of John 6, the feeding of the 5,000 and all of that last week. But what's nice is in John chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus starts to unpack and teach the people what they were supposed to learn from that feeding of the 5,000. So that's what we're going to be doing today um, as we do that. As you're getting your Bible all set and getting there, I want to show you some of these kids' drawings we've had over this series that have been really fun for me to see. And we've been sending some little prizes out to the winning drawing each week. And uh, first of all, we got this this uh, God's way, Jesus was God's way, God's politic, God's logos, God's, God's universal guiding principle for the cosmos. And, and we talked a little bit about Cave Spelunky, how going through John, there's just so many different places and ways you can go and, and discover things. Um, and so that was one of those drawings. Then we got the puppet on the string. We've really been trying to help us um, be people that are not kind of you know, on, puppets on the string of, of society, of populism or propaganda, but really letting the word of God guide and direct us. Um, we got the woman at the well, which is another one. Um, uh, John chapter 4, where Jesus was with the Samaritan woman. And there's a drawing with some good coloring there. Um, we got actually Jesus um, getting a whip and, and cleansing the temple here. So one of the kids drew that. I love that. Jesus got some sweet hair in that one. Um, and then the last one that we did last week was Jesus feeding the 5,000 and declaring I'm the bread of life, which we haven't really got to that until this, 
this passage, but I love that lead-in for Jesus saying that he is the bread of life, that people shouldn't get, get, miss the message that he's not here to give them actually natural bread, but he's here to be the bread of life for them, and we'll get into that today as we study. But um, the title of this message is Spiritual Warfare, um, and it's kind of spiritual warfare Jesus style, and uh, it's going to be a little different than you think. And I'm going to say the word spirit or spiritual a lot in this message. And for some of you, you might be like, oh, that's not me. Or, oh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. And I understand, I understand where you're coming from because I feel a lot of that as well. However, um, you need to under- understand and realize that, that you are primarily a spiritual being. When God made us, he, 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 he breathed his breath into our mortal bodies, when he breathed into Adam. And, and that spirit part of you is actually the most real part of you. Um, it's the part of you that will continue on after your body and your soul, mind and emotions be, cease to, to exist. Um, your spirit lives on. And not only are we primarily spiritual, so we need to get accustomed to that and realize that, but God, the God of the Bible, the God that made us, is spiritual. He is spirit. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he said, look, you, you're getting all these, these things wrong because you're focusing on the practical. He's saying, but really what God is looking for is God who is spirit is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And um, John really is all about that. When we see his, his take on Jesus, his, his, his um, understanding of Jesus is Jesus is not just a man. But Jesus was God in the flesh. He was a deity. He, he, he was the living God, the creator God. He was with God in the beginning. He was God. Um, and so we really need to kind of try and, try and get rid of those, those feelings or don't put the walls up or start to think, oh, this is getting weird because he's saying the word spiritual a whole bunch um, because that's really who God is. He is spirit. He's created us to be spirit, and that's where we're supposed to connect with him. And as you realize, um, as you see Jesus, the, the spirituality of Jesus does not make him, you know, no good earthly. It actually, you know, makes him very beneficial earthly and helpful in all of those things. So, anyways, just kind of work on that as you're going through this. Um, and uh, today we're going to get one of Jesus' hard sayings. So John, as he's writing the Gospel of John, he, he's really trying to help us see Jesus as, as God, um, not just man. He's really trying to help us um, understand God's politic. Um, we've talked about that. God's logos, God's word, um, the universal guiding principle of the cosmos. That's what Jesus is. Um, and, he, and he gives us seven I am statements of Jesus, these real powerful, this is who I am, Jesus declaring who he is. Um, and then he also gives us seven miraculous signs, miraculous proofs that Jesus really is who he says he is. But then also in John, we have these hard sayings. Um, these kind of things that can only be interpreted with a real spiritual mind. Um, for instance, what he says to Nicodemus, that you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how am I supposed to go into my mom's womb again? And, and Jesus is like, you're not getting it. You need spiritual eyes to understand this. And, and then he talks about um, with the, when his disciples came back and were trying to give him some food. He's like, I have food you know not of. And they were kind of like, what's going on? Somebody sneak him some food? He got Uber or whatever? And, uh, and, and really what Jesus was talking about is you've got to understand there's a spiritual food that, that is more important and more valuable to me than any physical food I could experience. And then today we have the, <laughs> the wonderful, happy phrase when Jesus says over and over and over again, you have to eat my body and drink my blood if you really want to live. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. So it's going to take some effort. If you need to stretch it out a little bit, if you need to shake your head a little bit, whatever, get some water, that's fine. Um, But let's get into this. 
and really allow God to speak deep into our hearts and, and allow all of this that we're doing in the natural to really impact the spiritual reality of who we are. So John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you get here? When did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So, for context, Jesus just fed this five... Well, first of all, for context, if you go back to last week, John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod. It's an extremely outrageous moment where people are so angry, so upset, and Jesus, when he hears that John the Baptist, who was his cousin, was beheaded, he, he withdrew to a quiet place because he didn't want to hear what the popular opinions were saying. He wanted to hear from his father. And so he withdrew to this quiet place. But the people um, that, that had known of Jesus and experienced some of his miracles and teaching, they gathered together. And it says that 5,000 men kind of went out to the wilderness to find out where Jesus was. And basically they were saying, all right, Jesus, Let's do this. Let's go march on these people. Let's go tear this, this temple down. Let's go, let's go do whatever we can to throw off this Roman oppression, to get rid of this, this horrible you know, ruler named Herod. Like They were just ready to do whatever. They were sick and they were tired of it all. And it says that Jesus met them in that moment and instead of turning them away, he fed them. He found five loaves and two fish from a little boy and he ended up multiplying that and fed every one of those men. And in some ways, you can almost kind of see like a mom, you know, when you come home all angry and upset and you're like, what are you? And the mom's like, hey, just sit down, child. Let me give you some milk. Let me give you some cereal. Let, let me calm you down a little bit. And that, that's kind of what Jesus did. And, and so now they're, they're not only outraged and, and totally frustrated about what happened in the city, but now they're also just mesmerized and, and blown away by Jesus being able to feed all these people. And, and it says that as it got dark that day, Jesus withdrew again. They wanted to make him king by force and kind of have him lead the, the revolution that they wanted, but instead he withdrew to a mountainside, and he sent his disciples in a boat across the lake. And, and, uh, and right in the middle of the morning, it's about like 3 a.m., Jesus walks on the water to meet his disciples who are stuck in a storm in the middle of the lake. And as soon as he gets in the boat, storm's gone, they reach the other side, and uh, they're on the other side of the lake now from where he fed the 5,000 in a place called Capernaum. And uh, when the people realize that Jesus is not around and the boat's gone, they decide, well, let's get over. So they get in boats or they go around the lake. They get to the other side and they find Jesus there. And he sits down and he begins to teach them. That's where we're picking up here. When they say they found him on the other side. And they're looking for him. And they're, they're still kind of chomping at the bit saying, Jesus, let's do this thing. Now, now you're doing, you got miraculous power. We got a horrible dictator ruler here. Let's go do something about this. And then Jesus says, hey, I, you need to understand something. You're coming to me because you saw a miraculous sign, because you ate some food. Um, but he says, I need you, I need you to realize that I, I'm not here necessarily for the practical realities of life. I'm here because of what needs to be done for your eternal life, your everlasting life. And he's kind of trying to help them move from this fact of like, man, Jesus can feed us. Jesus can lead a revolution. Jesus can bring all these social reforms. He's saying that's not my primary thing. And the first thing we need to realize is most people prioritize their immediate physical needs. But the Jesus way prioritizes 
their everlasting spiritual needs. Now, now this is really important. I'm going to read it again. Please hear this. Most people prioritize their immediate physical needs, but the Jesus way prioritizes their everlasting spiritual needs. It does not mean Jesus doesn't care about practical needs. You can see that throughout his entire life. He met people's practical needs. But all of that was so that they would understand that he has the power to meet the much deeper needs of their spirit, of their everlasting life. Um, he tells them, don't work for food that spoils. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Um, he wants them to understand how to gauge in the spiritual life, in the spiritual battles. He's not here to just help them solve their physical, natural, temporary battles. Um, again, he does care about those things, but, but not in comparison to the spiritual realities of life. And this is a hard thing because oftentimes um, Jesus becomes a big disappointment for us if we don't understand this reality. If we don't understand that God is spirit and what he is really interested in is, is what happens in this life and the next in the spirit reality of who we are. Um, you pray and pray and pray that God will meet a physical need, give you a physical healing um, for you or someone you love and you don't see it. And, and sometimes it can leave you in a place where you're just saying, that's it. Jesus either doesn't have power or he doesn't care. And I totally understand that. I've been in that situation. But what we, what we have to understand, if it, what Jesus is trying to help these people understand is that the priority of God is not to make you physically okay. The priority of God is to make you spiritually okay. And sometimes the physical things that he allows into our lives that are hard will help us in the spiritual. And I don't, I don't like it at all. But, but that is a reality that we have to understand and trust him in. And uh, that's a hard thing to do. But that was one thing he was wanting to see. So then they respond to him in verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to work the works God requires? So they kind of are asking the question of God, saying, okay, you know, if, 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 if revolution and, and, and the feeding of the bread and all of those miraculous signs, if that's not the work of God, what, what are you saying? What, do you, what are we really supposed to be about? Um, and Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in this passage, they're kind of asking a right question. But when Jesus says you got to believe on the one that, that God has sent, speaking of himself, um, they're like, okay, well, what are you going to do to prove it to? What, what's, you know, what sign will you give us? He just fed the 5,000. He's done lots of other things that were recorded in John and in other places. And they're saying, so what sign are you going to give us so that we'll believe? He's like, we hear you saying this, so we're supposed to believe and follow you. But what, what sign are you? And, uh, and this is the second thing we need to realize. Most people want Jesus to do something miraculous, and then they will follow him. But the Jesus way is as we follow him, we begin to uncover the evidence. We begin to see his power at work. This is, again, something that can cause a lot of disappointment. You always hear people say, God, if you get me out of this thing, I'll follow you forever. And again, I think God does at some times do that. He shows up. He did feed these guys who were so upset, so enraged. He fed them miraculously to just kind of show his compassion, to show how much he loves them, to show that he can do something about it. But he was drawing them away from, from that saying, but I need you to understand that this is what's most important, um, the spiritual reality of his life. And so he asked them to believe. 
And, uh, and, and they, they, they are saying, well, give us a sign and then we'll believe. And Jesus said, no, I want you to believe. And as you believe and as you follow me and as you come and see who I am and what I do, you'll begin to understand what really is important and you'll begin to see the full gospel, the good news of God and his love for you worked out. And uh, that's a tricky thing. We've been talking about faith. John basically has said that um, this whole book that he's written, this whole letter that he's written is really to help people believe. And he's probably writing it to more, um, you know, Greco-Roman audience um, than Jews, but, uh, which is different than the other writers. But, but he's writing to help people believe and understand. And so we really need to understand faith. And we did this in the first couple of weeks, really trying to unpack faith. And I want to remind you, because you're great Bible students here, of some of those things that we said, that faith, um, according to John, is, is, is trust over time. And you can see that John, who was known as the son of thunder, I mean, he was this emotional kind of, you know, radical guy. And, and as we read in the book of John, as he walked with Jesus, he became the one that, that, that Jesus loves. He became the one that leaned against the breast of Jesus. Um, he became the one that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to. Um, so John had this great change going on in his life. And, and as Jesus began to, you know, do the miracle of the wedding at Canaan, as John saw his zeal as he, as he went to the temple with a whip and cleansed all of that and as John saw him caring for this Samaritan woman and then, and then also caring for the Roman official or the royal official and, and, and the way that John inter- he was interacting with Nicodemus and, and it was like Jesus was breaking all of whatever seemed to be barriers between people and, and, and really kind of you know, reconciling the whole world to himself, whether rich, poor, um, you know, eth- different ethnicities, socioeconomic classes. He, Jesus was just kind of meeting everybody, reconciling everybody to himself. As John saw all of these things, you know, he just began to put more and more trust in Jesus and actually was able to make the leap from this is not just some guy who's a good rabbi teacher, but this guy is the actual creator God in the flesh. I mean, that is just wild to think about, being with somebody in the flesh, but realizing they are so much more than that. But that was what happened with John. He, he, he began to trust more and more over time. That's a big part of faith, as, as we described here. We want God to just give us what we want, and then we'll believe. But God says, as you continue to put your trust in him, as you step out into those uncomfortable places and find his faithfulness, that's when you begin to have your faith built. It's trust over time. I remember me and some friends right after college just had this idea that I, I, just, I just wanted to, to see what God can do. And I'd read some stories in the Old Testament about just like, let's just go for it and see what God can do. And so I talked some friends into going to Ireland with me. Um, we just bought a three-month ticket. We were just going to go to Ireland for three months and just say, okay, God, lead us, guide us, let's see what you can do. And, and some of you have heard me tell the story, and it was just something that God met us, God provided for us, God used. I mean, just so many wonderful, wonderful things took place, and it was for a young man. It was really something that just made me think, I can put my trust in God. Um, and it wasn't that God gave me something that I did, but it was something that I, I stepped out um, being led of God and saying, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. And, and, and it, whether or not it works out or not, I don't know. But then the Lord showed up in that way. And so I want to encourage you to take those steps to trust over time. Another way that the Bible um, explains faith is pledging allegiance. And we talked about again that in, in one of the early messages. Actually, it was on the 4th of July weekend, which I didn't plan that. But, um, but it was pledging our allegiance to God. And we got to be careful we don't pledge our allegiance to things that are, that are not of God. Um, but really making sure God is first and foremost. And then the last thing, um, Hebrews tells us that faith is substance and evidence. 
And uh, if you've been to one of our Explore classes, which is kind of our like new to the church classes, um, you, you get to hear me unpack that. And it's, it's, it's been really meaningful for me. So we're going to be doing an Explore class pretty soon. If you're someone that's been checking out the church online and you're ready to take that next step and really kind of make this your family, um, we're going to be doing that pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, all right, let's continue on. Verse 32 is where we're at now. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to our world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. It's a big switch he's making here. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, but he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So this is really a big deal. This is the gospel. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I will keep you. I will cleanse you and I will bring you to that last and I will raise you up in the last day. This is what Jesus wants to do for you. No matter what you've done, no matter whether you think you fit or not, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you know the scriptures or not, this is what Jesus is saying to you, that if you will come to him and you will follow him and you will learn of him and you will receive him and you will, you will let him into your life and let him rule your life, then he will raise you up to the last day to everlasting life. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's the best deal there ever is. Um, and that's what Jesus did. And, and he hadn't gone to the cross and died at this point, but, but the proof, that the proof that he actually can do what he's saying right here came when he, when he died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. Um, and that, that's the message for each one of us. And this, in this passage, I want us to realize that the third thing is most people want Jesus to save them from whatever is bothering them right now. For these people, it was the, the, the um, turmoil, political turmoil they were going through. Um, but Jesus, the Jesus way wants to save you from everlasting separation from God, which, which we call hell. So most people want God to just kind of help them in this life. But really what Jesus came to do primarily, what God wants to do primarily in your life is save you from everlasting separation from God, which your sin brings about. He, he doesn't want you to go to hell. He basically says, if you want to go to hell, if you want to be separated from me, you'll have to do it over my dead body, my son's dead body. Literally, Jesus was crucified. And the only way you can get to hell is to basically just walk over and say, I don't care about that. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I reject Jesus completely. And if that's what you're doing, both with your, with your words and your actions, then, then you're going to be separated from God. But if you say, no, I want Jesus. I want life. I want to care about these things. And, and even though I want God to meet me in my physical stress right now, I really do care more about that, and I want Jesus to meet me when I die, then, then that's something that, that, that Jesus is saying is for you. That's what God cares about way more than anything else that we're experiencing. Um, and then let's keep going, 41 through, 40 through 66. At this time, the Jews begin to grumble about this because he said, I'm the bread of, that came down from heaven. They're like, isn't this Jesus, son of Joseph? His father and mother we know. How can he say it came down from heaven? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which if a man eats, he may not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among them. This is the hard saying. The Jews are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's coming from heaven. He's, he's telling us to eat his flesh. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It got real quiet in the place. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The disciples are like, okay, Jesus, we heard you the first time. Please don't say it again. And then he says, for my flesh is real food. And my flesh, and my, um, where is that? For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The disciples are like, oh man, this is just killing this movement right now. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread, he will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Whoa. So he's actually in the synagogue, and he's unpacking this kind of concept, trying to get people to move from their physical and, spirit and, and fleshly eyes to the spiritual, everlasting eyes. And he's going through, and then he just starts dropping these bombs about, look, if you really want to know what I'm saying, you have to eat my body and drink my blood if you want any part of me and the kingdom that I have. If you want God to raise you up at the last day, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is, not, this is not sounding very good. <laughs> and then he says it again and again and again and again, just in case nobody was weirded out. He wanted to make sure everyone in the room totally weirded out. Um, and then verse 60, it says, On hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. <laughs> the disciples are so awesome. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling. So first of all, the, the, the Jews that were coming um, to have him lead this revolution, they were grumbling, going, what, what, he's talking about that he came from heaven. We know where he came from. He's talking about eat his flesh. How can that happen? And, then, and now his disciples are, are grumbling too. And, and Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then he says to the twelve, Do you want to leave also? And Simon Peter had answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So right there in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So we know that Jesus had 5,000 men that came out because they wanted to kind of go to this revolution. They wanted to make him king, and he, and he, and he fed them, but then he, he, he left them. 
And when they woke up, couldn't find him. I don't know if all 5,000 or just some of them came, but they came to the other side of the lake. And there they found Jesus, and he basically began to teach them in a synagogue. And as he was doing this, um, I don't know how many were there exactly, but it's, it, it was, it was a, a lot more than 12. And uh, in one place we actually do see in another gospel, there was about 120 followers of Jesus, um, and then 70 followers of Jesus. He sends out 70 disciples at one point. But as they continue to follow him, and then he says this saying, I mean, this was kind of like a moment of truth for these disciples. Got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It says that most of them, they went away. They were disappointed in Jesus. He was not going to lead the revolution they wanted. Um, for those of you who are Bible scholars, you'll love this little play. But, but basically, when, when these Jews are saying to him, hey, you know, Moses gave bread to the, the, the people in, in, in Exodus, as they were set free from that oppression of, e of Egyptian slavery, um, basically what they were kind of saying is, Jesus, you know, we've seen you do miracles and wonders like Moses did. Um, we are experiencing severe oppression under the Romans like the Egyptians did to the Israelites before. And now we're seeing, seeing you multiply food out in the wilderness. Are you going to deliver us? This, this is the making up for a great nether exodus. Can you lead a deliverance right here in our time, in our place? We're praying for it. We're crying out to God. And, uh, and basically Jesus, he said no. He basically said, I'm not here to bring about a, a natural revolution or a practical or a fleshly even um, revolution. I, I'm, I'm here to do a work that is actually everlasting, a work that is in the spirit, the work that, that will set you free from an oppression, not, not of Roman order or whatever it might be, but the oppression of sin and death, which are mankind's greatest enemies. Sin and death are, is the oppression we've been living under ever since Adam and Eve decided to go their way instead of God's way. Sin and death is basically the shadow that hangs over all of society that creates all the pain and agony we experience. Sin and, and, and death are the things that are so deep inside our souls that, that we can't even live unrestrained. We can't even live free without doing something ugly or horrible or hurtful to somebody else. Uh, the sin and death that permeates our souls so intensely makes it to where what the Bible says is, is our, our, even our righteousness are like filthy rags. So me trying to do the right thing oftentimes can actually hurt somebody else and not be good for somebody else. We have this sin and death so thick and heavy over all of creation, so, so intrinsic and, and, and permeating all of creation that, that the, the creation, the Bible says, is just groaning, longing for redemption, longing for Jesus to return and, 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 and set us free from the oppression of sin and death. And what Jesus is saying is here is that that's ultimately what he's here to do. He's here to come. He's here to show us the way of God, to show us the nature of the Father, to die on a cross, to pay the price and penalty for our sins, and then to rise from the dead, to conquer death once and for all. And, and then we know, and then he's seated at the right hand of the Father until the day he comes back and he, and he makes all things new. Basically, he undoes all of the sadness that sin and death has come. And we're in this in-between time. We're in this waiting time, waiting for his return. And we have the, the power and love of Christ. His spirit is with us so that, that we can taste heaven right now. We can experience it. We can walk in that kingdom power right now. But at the same time, we still live in these bodies of death. We still live in a world full of death. 
And so here's what I want, I think, how we go about um, both things, being born again in a spiritual way and how we go about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in a spiritual way. Obviously, Jesus wasn't a cannibal. He's not telling us to be cannibals. We need to see it with spiritual eyes. And, and this is my best way to unpack, uh, un, unpack it. Um, how do we do this? Um, well, there's this, there's this phrase that I came across from a friend of mine, John Mark Comer, who is a pastor up in crazy town Portland. <laughs> um, and I want to pop it up and have you guys just read this, and then I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, for Jesus, the devil's primary strategy to ruin the soul and society or spirit isn't what most of us expect. It's lies. That was his plan from the beginning. That's always been his plan. More specifically, and I love this, it's the deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. In this teaching, um, we're exploring how we are transformed by spirit and in truth and deformed by isolation and lies. And we look to Jesus' example of spiritual disciplines as spiritual warfare. And uh, we've been talking about this in our Sunday morning gatherings that we have been having where we pray and intercede and we engage in spiritual warfare. We feel like that's exactly what the church is supposed to be doing right now. You, as a Christian, you should be doing spiritual warfare. Well, I'm not that spiritual. Well, then you're not that Christian. This is our time to really take seriously these things of God. The battle is going on in our society more so than it was in prior years. Of recently. Obviously, there's been many different battles before. But the church, we are called to battle in the spirit right now. And if you're not, you're probably losing ground for you and your household. So this is a very serious thing. But the spiritual warfare that Jesus, caused, that Jesus shows us, his way, um, basically, I, th I think it can be unpacked like this. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge there are deceptive ideas in our society, and they play to our disordered desires and they're normalized in our sinful, defiant society. And now this is hard for some people to realize. One is, I think all of us now are aware that there are a lot of deceitful ideas you know, being spread around by media, by social media, by left, by right, by you, by me. Um, we're, just, we're perpetrators of these, these, um, these ideas that, that they're just not good. They're not true. They're not right. They're not helpful. And we have to be aware of that. But then we also have to realize that according to the fall, we were born with deformed desires, disordered desires. Inside you and I, we long for things that are not good and not right. And, and, and what our society is trying to do is make those things okay and right. So, you know, um, I might long for somebody else's house or property. I might long for somebody else's paycheck or whatever. And, 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 and that is, that's something I need to resist. That's something that I need to work against in my own life to find contentment. But in our society, we say, no, that's ambition. That's good. That's hard work. That's all of those things. And we try and normalize coveting or envy or jealousy. And it's not right. For some, we, we say, oh, well, you know, you have these desires sexually, whether it be for, 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 for a woman that's not your wife or, or for a man that's not your husband or for someone of the same sex or, or for, you know, whatever it might be. For someone that's really young, I mean, all of these crazy things that 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 we people have, and it, it, it's not you're a bad person and you're horrible and God hates you because you have that. Please hear me, please hear me, please please listen to what I'm saying. But but as a part of the fall, we are all created with disordered desires, desires that are not in line with God's will, which therefore do not bring about human flourishing. 
And we've got to trust He knows the order. He knows the design. And He can give us the strength if we'll eat His body and drink His blood daily in the Spirit. He will strengthen us and sustain us to, to overcome those disordered desires. And see where society is just trying to normalize things that ultimately will end up in our ruin as a society and as an individual. And I know it's hard. I'm not saying that. We all have to resist. Welcome to the resistance. And we need each other. We need the blood of Jesus. We need the, the body of Jesus to strengthen us and sustain us in this. But we also need the body of Christ. And this gets us to number two. So we first of all have to acknowledge that. Secondly, we need to read the scriptures. We need to process life with other believers, both past and present. So, so the, the believers that wrote this book, the Bible, the, the, the believers that have written about these challenges that we're facing, there's a lot that we can learn. But we also need to do it in the fellowship together. That's where life groups come in. That's where our gatherings are so important. We need to be in each other's lives, supporting each other in these battles. And we need to pray so we'll not be fooled and led astray. This is just simple stuff. And this right here, it doesn't feel like spiritual warfare. It seems very practical. But this is spiritual warfare as well. When we can do these things, the scriptures are powerful for bringing down strongholds. Other believers will help sustain you and you can link arms so that you stay strong in the battle. And prayer is where we get to hear God's ideas instead of just the rhetoric or pop propaganda going around. And the third and last thing is we need to understand that we have disordered desires as a part of the fall of mankind from innocence and be strengthened by the life and love of Christ to overcome those desires. If you are someone that that has homosexual desires. I, I, I want you to understand that, that God has room for you. That God does not condemn you for that. I, I think you do have to swallow a hard pill and understand that, that the Bible and God would, would teach that those are not right desires. Those desires will not lead to human flourishing for you and for our society. And I know that's very difficult. But there's, you're not the only ones. Those who are, have desires for people who aren't their wives. Those who have desires for money that's not theirs. Those who are greedy. Those who are hateful. Those who have been experienced a lot of pain in other ways and, and they want to act out in those things. Uh, this, is all, this is all part of our challenge. That's why we need each other. That's why we have to come together and not villainize or victimize each other. But God has promised that if, if you will come to Christ, and you will daily take in his body and his blood. Not in a real practical way, but in a spiritual way. You'll, you will feed on the life of Christ. You'll feed on the love of Christ. You will be strengthened to overcome whatever sin or whatever disordered desire you might be dealing with and struggling with. And we all do. We all do. The church is full of people with disordered desires who are trying to rely on Christ to overcome those things for themselves, for their households, for their families, and for society as a whole. And that's the good news of Jesus, is that, that he didn't just say these things, but then at the end of his life, he, he practically allowed his body to be broken and his blood to flow so that we could spiritually receive the forgiveness and strength that we need. And we're going to do that now. We're going to put up a slide and we're going to have a little time of communion for you and your household. And I really just want you to take, take this time seriously. If you need to go over those last points again, that's fine. Um, but just take this time and really spiritually feed on the love and the life of Christ, the body and blood of Jesus that was given for you and, uh, and find the strength that is there as we continue to do battle in our society. God bless you guys.